scope of the session of, of it was two parts one I was I'm not sure how a lot of those other issues we're discussing and, and this has been brought up last week I think by Dr. Rubenfeld the, here it's well there's obviously the community what we have to rule for the community at large and then there's individuals so of course every individual and, and that's by the way part of the seems to be the disagreement here between the Vilna Betin and Rabbi Israel Salanter. He said he made a cross-the-board ruling for everyone. Don't consult doctors. This is what the story is for everyone. No distinctions. And the the Betin of Vilna, according to some of the versions, said no. Each person has to be ruled for individually. You have to be assessed by a doctor and decided should you fast or not. So it's, a, it's actually part of this discussion here and it, that seems to have been um, part of the argument, according to some, is is can you just go ahead and give a blanket ruling across the board? Um, in this case, we saw not that leniently, um, not to fast, or should we look at each? Does each individual have to go and be assessed? Which is part of I think you're touching on. Um, by the way, uh, Dr. Fauci in his in his conversation, if you can call it that, with Rand Paul, did say he he agrees he's not the end all. In his own humble, in his humbleness, he did say that, even though he was accused of not being humble by Rand Paul. So, so, but it, but it is a valid point. How, who gets to make the decisions? Um, uh, you know, you in halacha usually goes with what well, we, the famous Bucky, as we discussed many times, which is the expert opinion. Um, but the halacha does say very clearly. I'll just tell you, um, just to, to to talk to your point, and then we have, we'll move on. Is is that on Yom Kippur it discusses in the laws of Yom Kippur the Shulchan Aruch discusses if you have two opinions or even three opinions you have two doctors we always err on the side of caution when it comes to health as we know we're and and but what you're saying is it could be health wise it might be other way so in this case the way you're presenting it which again I don't know the science well enough to comment but but both sides are trying to err maybe this is better for health purposes now, as if it's a question of you know, does he need to break his fast or not? So then we err, the Shulchan Aruch says very clearly, we err on the side of caution and go with the, the medical opinion. And the Shulchan Aruch, obviously, even those days understood there could be numerous medical opinions, and that's what it's discussing. You always go with the, with the more lenient medical opinion um, and err on the side of health, of life. In your case, you're posing the argument, what happens if, if one side says, this is better for health purposes, okay? Um, which I, so that's a different question, which is also discussed. What happens if, let's say, for example, because the Shulchan Aruch says the patient says I need to eat, but the doctor says he doesn't have to. So the Shulchan Aruch says you still err on the side of life, and we go with the patient because when it comes to that, the patient might know his body better, better than the doctor, better than the physician. But it also says, let's say the patient says I have to eat, which is really your case, and then the doctor says if he eats, it will harm him. By breaking his fast, actually, food will be bad for him whatever the case is. So in that case now become, then we listen to the doctor. We will err that he should not break his fast in that situation. So that's, the, so that's a, it's actually fascinating. I didn't think of it in the, this context, but I'm glad you brought that up. Maybe we could, that can come up. It's really, it's really the question of who gets to decide. So that's a different question. Um, you know, which physician gets to decide or which authority. So that, that is a valid question. Um, again, it is discussed in the Shulchan Aruch as far as individuals, at least. Um, so, but it, that could be part of the argument here, as we're going to see. Yeah, you, Shimmy, you had something to say? No? 
Okay, so so uh, so I, yeah, basically I'm I'm avoiding your question. In other words, okay, please. an excellent question. Um, well, I know for sure, you know, not drinking, I mean, obviously will affect lactation, I know just from from questions that I've had answered by nursing women over the years um, that I've had to answer. So, so there clearly is some effect. The question is, is it to the effect that it will be detrimental to the baby? That is, but that's what he's saying. He's saying it's called a suffix. He himself, the himself himself, calls it a suffix because never. It's not clear. Someone else want to? Yeah, Shelly. One second, let me unmute you. You're not getting unmuted. You have to unmute yourself. Okay, go. We think what works? Fasting works for COVID? Uh, no, it wouldn't help. It just by fasting you might and they be more susceptible to the epidemic. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, the doctors seem to have implied it. Okay, so I want to move on because we're gonna. This is the last week we're doing this. I, I mean, this topic. So I wanna, I wanna try to get to the because there's at least three or four different explanations to why he was lenient. So, so, so again, explanation number one we're saying is Sam Sofer, um, which which would seem to imply that you know, we're permitting even healthy people to break their fast because the because. By fasting, it might endanger their future life. So I found that actually, just to mention, a tshuva responsive from Moshe Feinstein, clearly addressing this issue, and he mentions the story of Rabbi Yisrael Salanta. The, the question posed there, this was written in 1965 by Moshe Feinstein to uh, a rabbi named Ephraim Greenblatt in Memphis, Tennessee. Not as says Rabnata's nephew. So the, the, the heading on this response is about a ill person who's not in danger, but um, 
he's 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 he has some something which could cause a future danger to his life. Can he take um, uh, violate Yom Kippur by taking medicines on Yom Kippur and drinking water, etc., um, because of to prevent a future illness? Okay, that was the question posed to Moshe Feinstein. So I'm going to read it to you quickly, try to get to the punchline. He, uh, he says like this. He says, As far as an ill person, He is nothing wrong with it now. He can come, um, he, he's, meaning he has an illness now, but his illness is not in any way considered a dangerous illness. But it could become a different illness. It could cause um, this illness if he doesn't, uh, address it could cause another illness. Shemusukenis, which could be dangerous. In the Eish Lahatel of Law Kadur Nikrapilin Piyomikipurim Belah Mayim. So, so he says that uh, he, he, the question was posed: Can he take pills without water? So Moshe says that's for sure. He goes on to say, of course, taking pills without water is not an issue. Pills are not eating, which is very important to know for Yom Kippur. Pills are not considered eating. Um, but he says he, he goes on to say that he could take it even with water. Okay. Um, even though water technically is, is drinking, he go he says like this. Um, so he, I'm not going to read you the whole tshuva, just the lack of time. He goes on to say it like this. He says v'gam bar. He says it's clear to me. Shav bari mamish. Even a completely healthy person. This person has some form of illness. Saying if he doesn't take his pills and he needs to take it with water, he might come to lead to further more dangerous illness. But he says, even a completely healthy person, in Tzarech L'Shamish Chol, there's an unbelievable uh, response and very, very relevant to our current situation because he's talking about, from what I understand it at least, a healthcare worker who, if he doesn't, let's say, get inoculated or take do something to, that he has to violate Yom Kippur, he's coming in contact with contagious patients and that might cause him um, to put himself in danger. Okay, so it says like this. He says, Gambar, it's clear to me, Shav Bari, even a completely healthy person, in Tzarech L'Shamesh Cholof, he has to um, uh, address an ill patient, Shamachlosa Mistabekes, that he has a contagious disease. So we're talking about some type of someone, a healthcare worker. And in order for him not to get sick, meaning the, the attending healthcare worker, He has to do some type of procedure that involves violating Shabbat. So again, you have a completely healthy um, healthcare worker, and they, this healthcare worker, wow, welcome, Shal, what's her, what's her name? Dalia. Dalia, welcome Dalia. Good morning, Dalia. So, so he says like this, he says, uh, so even though this healthcare worker is completely healthy, but since if they don't do this procedure on Shabbat to violate Shabbat, he could it could lead to a more dangerous a dangerous illness for this person because the patient that he's treating is contagious. Says Ramosha, Nami Mutter, it's completely permitted for him to violate Shabbat, the healthcare worker, in order for him not to in the future catch this contagious disease. Even the below that. Because without this, without getting this vaccination, let's say whatever the procedure is that he needs um, prior to treating this patient to, to protect himself, he might get sick in the future. He says it's 100% certain to me that he can violate Shabbat. And he says, and then he quotes the story of Yisrael Salant, he says, V'yadua. And it's known, Shagon Yisrael Salanter, that Yisrael uh, Salanter, Tziva commanded, B'Shas Shoyim Machla Kalaria, 
the contagious disease cholera was was uh, was around. With Lechel Yom Kippur he he commanded everyone in the city to eat that year Mishum because people who haven't fa- who are fasting and are hungry, they have more of a chance, he says explicitly, more of a chance of contracting the disease. Even though right now they're completely healthy, so he says very clearly, um, he is bringing this story of Yisrael Salatar, and he's understanding the story as the reason why he permitted it is because fasting increases your chance of contracting this contagious disease. But even more relevant to us, besides that, just bring, seeing how he understood the story and the rationale behind it, he clearly is he's saying that a healthcare worker can even violate Shabbat in order not to pre- in order to prevent a future contraction of disease, which is an amazing statement. So that was written in 1965. Um, so there you have another um, another response using this as a using the story of Israel Salanter as a halachic proof to what you can do, what you can violate. Um, and in this case, Yom Kippur, he's saying. Okay? Shimmy, you gonna say something? Alan, you're muted. Now you're, okay, now you're all muted, yeah. So it could lead to it could lead to a danger for the patient or yes. So that's a that's a good question. I'm gonna if you could send me an email with the question, I'll, I would ask Rabbi Dr. Steinberg about it. That's a that's an excellent question. Um, so please please send me an email after the class, and I'll I'll forward. Okay, it's a great question. Okay, so. Um, so again, that's from Moshe Feinstein. Now, by the way, the Chavetz Chaim, as we mentioned last week, uh, the Chavetz Chaim in, um, doesn't bring the story of Yisrael Salatar, but he does, in his commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, also mentions, he's going, in the laws of Tisha B'Av, this is, he says here, he quotes a, a book called Pischei Olam, a Sefer, he says uh, like this, he, sa- it's, he says, he's going on cholera, where it's with a place, there's a place where the cholera epidemic is not so strong, which, um, Ed, this might be addressing yours. So it's not everywhere was the pan- there was a pandemic, but it doesn't mean every geographical location had it uh, manifest itself differently. So let's say you live in a place where the cholera epidemic is, cholera at the time was not so strong. He says, um, So he tells the person, this is about Tisha B'av really, that he should eat less than the requisite amount, and break his fast um, with with the nine minute intervals as we discussed many times. Um, so he says that's what I ruled in parentheses for people who come to me on Tisha B'av. So this way, you, at least you're not abolishing the fast completely. You're fasting somewhat. You're just doing and you're eating in a in this particular way. It doesn't. It's not considered abolishment of the fast. And then he goes on to say, if someone wants to fast in a place where the illness is not so strong, so you have to give him advice. He shouldn't leave his house all day. Um, stay at home. And if he does leave, he needs to put a face mask on. That's what he says. If the rabbi should advise the person, if they are going to fast, um, if they still insist on fasting in a place, again, where it's not so strong, he's saying 
in a place where there's a pandemic, you shouldn't fast. You should break your fast. Again, this is going on Tisha Slowly, you know, in that in that uh, slow way where it's not a complete violation. But he says if they insist and they're going to fast, so they should stay home. And if they have to leave, then make sure they're, they're wearing a face mask. Interestingly enough, I don't know what you just, let's say this was probably written in the 20s, I'm guessing. Something like that. So, again, he seems to understand that fasting during pandemic times is not a good thing. Um... Now, and also I, I found there another quote I'm just going to read you from the, the first Belzerebi in the year 1847, which was a year before the story of Israel Salanser, also announced, says he announced publicly, anyone feeling any weakness is permitted to break their fast on Yom Kippur. Okay, so that's, that's the opinions clearly that they're under the assumption that the, based seemingly on medical advice, that fasting is not good during pandemic times. So what did the opposing opinion hold? Okay, so, so what's interesting is the actual Rabbi Salah Cohen, who was the leading rabbi in Vilna at the time, who opposed Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, he has a responsa book. He has a book of responsa that was published in 1869. So again, this pandemic was in 1848. The rabbi of Vilna who opposed, the main rabbi who opposed Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, was quoted as opposing him, um, states in his own responsa book in the year 1869, um, that he and he clearly disagreed about this contention that healthy people, as we know, um, he, he was of the opinion, no, if you're healthy, you can't break your fast. So he writes there, fascinating uh, historical footnote, he says, and I'm quoting, I, this is from my translation, um, he says that it's incumbent upon us to let people know for future generations of the great thing that happened here in Vilna that was established on three occurrences. Because again, the pandemic wasn't just one year, he tells these years, he says, thousands upon tens of thousands of men and women fasted on Yom Kippur in the years of 1838, 1848, which is the year of the Israel and 1866 in our country, and nothing bad happened to anyone, God forbid, and this was known throughout the world. Okay, so he's stating very clearly that uh, he's proving I was right. People listened to me, they didn't listen to Israel Salanter, many people, and they fasted three years, he says, which in halacha that's considered kol chazakah, it's established fact. And he says it was known throughout the world that no one, no one died because of the fasting. Now how he knows no one died, that would be questionable. Um, in other words, meaning, uh, how would he know for sure? I mean, people did die from cholera. The question is, did they die because they fasted? Did they contract? How exactly knew? But he's stating this historical fact um, that um, it should be known that no one um, died those three years, three not consecutive years. It was 1838, 1848, and 1866. And he's saying in our country, which was, uh, I don't know what Vilna was at the time, seems to move countries, the city of Vilna, very often, so, uh, but no one died. So, so that's clearly the other side of the opinion was, I believe he felt medically, as, as we're saying, a different opinion is that, that fasting doesn't affect, um, doesn't increase your chances of, for a healthy person of, of getting the disease. Okay, now the second, we're gonna run out of time, so I wanna get to the, at least two other explanations in the argument. So there's a, there's a, uh, trying to look at the dates when he lived. It's someone, it's irrelevant, but uh, someone named the Maril Diskin. Maril Diskin, who says a fascinating thing. Shuleib Diskin, he was born in Belarus, grew up in Belarus in 1818, and he died in Jerusalem in 1898. 
he was, he was uh, known as the Briskarav who moved who moved from uh, Belarus to Israel um, before the state of Israel. And he died there in 1898. I think he was the, actually considered the chief rabbi of Jerusalem when he lived in Israel. Um, in any case, in his responsum, he discusses nothing to do with pandemics. He's discussing some other issues, but he quotes a fascinating thing. He understands that, as we know, there's a, this is this is um, as we know, there's something that's actually in this week's parsha. Look at that, amazing! Always a connection to the parsha. This week's parsha, Bahar and Bechukasa, both talk about the sabbatical year. Okay, it's a double header this week, Bahar and Bechukasa, um, and it talks about the the in agricultural societies in it within this within country within Eretz Israel, within Israel, you have to stop the seventh year in the cycle. They they stop and they just study Torah all day. It's an awesome life. Um, okay, and they they didn't plant anything. Exactly how that worked is uh, is miraculous. No one knows. But in any case, the 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 Gemara and Sanhedrin addresses um, issues where they couldn't keep it, where where it's pikuach nefesh. So one of the things it says there that the the rabbis permitted. Gemara and Sanhedrin, they find the quick says that they permitted a violation of the biblical laws of Shemitah when um, the problem was, as we know, the country, uh, even Eretz Yisrael, wasn't always under Jewish rule, even um, after the destruction of the temple. So the Talmud says that farmers um, that couldn't pay since they were farmers, meaning the, the land, uh, I don't know how it worked, the government, whoever it was at the time, would charge uh, a real estate tax, as we know. So that you would, you would have, you basically have to give a percentage, well, it wouldn't work by percent, I don't know exactly how it worked, but it's good. Today they call it in Israel Arnona, which is actually taken, this language is what the Gemara uses here, it's called Arnona tax. Arnona in Israel today is like a maintenance fee on your on your real estate. So if you live in, in a, any building in Israel, even if you own the apartment, you have to pay Arnona, uh, which is, uh, Ron, is that correct? It's like a maintenance fee. Does anyone know more about it? Okay. But so the Gemara, this word comes from the Gemara. The Gemara says here that during years of Shemitah, where the people, if they wouldn't plant, they wouldn't be able to pay the Arnona fee, meaning the government doesn't care, the non-Jewish government, whether you're, you're, you had a good crop or bad crop. The tax stays the same, sort of like this year. We're going to have to pay real estate on the value of our of our real estate even though people might be out of jobs right so the government doesn't care what your income is if you own the land you got to pay the tax says the Talmud where if they wouldn't be be able to plant the people would literally get arrested by the government because they couldn't pay their tax their, their land tax and because they have no income that year because they're not there's no crop because they're not planting so it says there are a lot of violate the laws of Shemitah and plant the Gemara seems to imply plant crops in violation of the Torah law because if they don't plant the crops they are going to um, end up being arrested and possibly die in jail. So it's a danger to life, it's Pekuach Nefesh and therefore we allowed them to plant their crops in the sabbatical year. Fascinating Gemara. Tosfus says here and on this Gemara if I can find it um, Tosfus, one of the commentaries let's see where it is Edrin 26a. Tosa says here on this comment, um, the, uh, he says, How would, he said, because of our no no, because of the tax, because the Gemara just says, because of the tax, we allowed them to plant. Says Tosa, 
So because they have to pay taxes, we allow them to violate a, a biblical law. So he says, um, one answer to us says it was talking about when at times when it was only rabbinical, the, the law wasn't biblical. Second answer to us says is the pikuach nefeshu. It's a danger to life. Because the king is going to ask for the tax. They're not going to have anything to pay. They're going to die in the jail, in the king's jail. And he says that's, a, that's the Yushalmi says. So the Maril Diskin understands which is a, a leap here, but he says, Tosis wasn't, the, when they permitted Shemitah here, he says in a response, it wasn't only, he says this in two places, it wasn't only for the people, for the poor people who couldn't pay the taxes. It was even for the people who had the 401ks stashed away, and they could pay the tax, but still, he says, the rabbis at the time said, everyone has to plant this, this year. Because, and he explains, the reason is because if they wouldn't allow if, the, if all, they would say only the poor people should plant, as we know, uh, religious Jews are very stubborn. They could say, what do you mean? God forbid, it's a, I wouldn't violate this law. But look, the rich people, they're planting, so they would be embarrassed. He says, because if they would not plant and, and the other farmers are planting, the ones who could afford the tax, so they would be embarrassed and they would end up um, not planting also. So because of that, he says, one second, it was permitted, we permitted everyone across the board to plant, even the people who could pay the tax. Unbelievable uh, perspective of the way he's looking at this permission here, and therefore, so so they so people want to use that the, that say this was the rationale of Israel Salat, similar thing which he told even the healthy people to break their fast, even though there's no medical issue for the healthy people. But if he wouldn't say it across the board, even for the healthy people, then the the the, the sick people are not going to fast because break their fast because they're going to be embarrassed. So they want to apply this my real diskin. Um, to the rationale of Israel Salanta. So, Ron, go ahead. Um, well, what, no, well, if the Shemitah will endanger your life in a serious way. a good point and uh, it's, very, it's a valid point meaning where do you draw the line actually the Chazanish says a, a language that you said when he, he's not addressing this per se but he does say he says as we discussed in the past there's Pikuach Nefesh potentially there has to be a line somewhere even for Pikuach Nefesh when endangering life because otherwise you know like you said he, he uses the exact language as Ron just used Chazanish was a rabbi in the 40s in Israel, 30s and 40s, he says, you know, obviously we have to have a line of Pikuach Nefesh because people could say, listen, I got to go to work on Shabbos, Parnassah. I got to make a living. I got to pay my taxes. He's saying, got to pay the bills on my Ferrari, right? I got to pay the, the, the mortgage. So it's endless. You know, if once you start applying Pikuach Nefesh like this across the board, you're right. It's endless. And I'm assuming that's why... Um, the Betin, this would be the other side of the coin. That, no, it's, even if you want to say this was the rationale of Israel Salanter, which Maril Diskin seems to be saying. You don't like what he's saying, but he, he seems to be saying that. Um, so and, if assuming that was the rationale of Israel Salanter, so obviously the Betin held, they opposed this ruling because they didn't, for either you could say they didn't like, they didn't understand the Talmud like Maril Diskin, where we're giving a carte blanche he heter 
to leniency even for the rich people, which doesn't say that. He's assuming that, and he assumes that the moral disc. So clearly they didn't hold like that. Or are they saying like you? It's, that's ridiculous. You can't, where do you draw the line? For, you know, is he going to say rich people? No, it's meaning, in the case of poor people, it doesn't seem like anyone's arguing. Meaning if someone, it's because nefesh, they're starving, so of course they're allowed to violate Shemitah. Someone really doesn't have food, and they can't eat. You're allowed to plant. But it's the extension of it, even to the to the people, to the rich people, they can violate Shemitah in order to make sure the poor people don't end up uh, losing their lives. Yeah, Shelley, what were you going to say? Yeah, but so that's Safi Pikoch Nefesh. We, we usually rule Safi Pikoch Nefesh that it's also permitted. And that's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But the, the key point here is, and I want to point that again, is not for the Individuals that are at risk, of course they can, they can break their fast. The, the key, yeah, but the key point here is, no, here's not what he's saying. We know the rich people are not going to be at risk. He's still saying they're allowed to violate the biblical law of Shemitah because if they don't violate it, then the people at risk will not violate it. That's what he's saying. It's a much bigger job. No, it's, no one's arguing the people at risk should violate that's not the question here. That's a Gemara. The Gemara says that, uh, uh, you know, unequivocally. Uh, that's something else. So that's a as we say, a kasha thamaisa. That's a question on a story. We, we don't know. But the the the, the main the chiddush here. I don't want. I, I just I want to make sure we understand the jump here. And this is the real news in this statement. Is he saying? Even if you know for sure you're 100% healthy, you're immune, you're not going to leave your house, you close your doors, there's no one coming in, you're not shopping, you're stacked up, you're in your underground bunker with AC and there's no issue. You have enough toilet paper to last you to 2025. Okay, so there's no issue for you. He's still saying you need to break your fast because if you don't, then your neighbor who doesn't have enough toilet paper might not break his fast. And, and that could affect his life. Well, that's for sure. Again, no, 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 no. That you keep on, you know, you, Shelly, you're getting it wrong. You're getting it wrong. Again, uncertain emergencies, uncertain potential risk to life. Of course, we allow to violate Shabbat. There's no, that's not what we're discussing here. That's obvious. We're talking about, again, someone who has zero risk. He's saying, should still break the Rebbe. He's saying, in this, according to this version and this rationale, what he's saying is, there's no risk to a healthy person to fast on Yom Kippur. Zero. The doctors all agree, let's say. There's no risk. But still, we should make them break their fast because if we don't make them break their fast, then the people who are at risk might not agree so readily to break it. 
So again, if there's potential risk for anyone, of course you can break. That's a halach and Any potential risk, you'll have to you'll have to break your fast. So it's not even an issue. The issue here is what we're saying is again, someone's stuck in their bunker. They have filet mignon, you know, whatever it is. They put their fact up. They have their guns with them. There's no risks. You got everything. Okay, still saying that person should break their fast. Obviously, again, the 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 opposing view didn't know like that. The opposing view of Vilna Day said, "We don't see that. You can't you can't derive that from this Gemara." Okay, so is, is that clear? So I, I want to. We're out of time, so we're not going to be able to get to the other explanations. And I'm, and I think we're done. We we'll have to move on to a new topic next week. I don't like staying on the topic more than two weeks. Um, but uh, I just want to point out, so Rabasha Weiss again, going back to the original truth. There's two things I'm going to I'm just going to read you quickly to end off here. Um, is one from Dr. Steinberg and one from Rabasha Weiss, if I can find it. Rabasha um, Weiss, in a response, I told you in the beginning of Corona, addressing specifically uh, this this question. I don't, again, he doesn't use the word Corona in this response. He used the he calls it a flu, the Hebrew word for flu, shafat. Um, but I, I think as in the beginning, Corona was deemed as some type of flu. So would he change his psaac? Now I don't know. Now that we know it's more serious. Um, he doesn't have a date on this. But he writes that all these proofs do not prove to, our, to, to this issue that we're in now. He says because, he explains just medically speaking, he says, and again, this could be based on medical facts, and we'll see in a second. He says that cholera was a disease that affected your digestive system. It was water based and it and it made you dehydrated, made you throw up, you lost your your digestive system broke down. He says that's I'm just gonna read it to you here to make sure I'm saying it correctly. He says so so therefore over there of course you if someone there was potential danger because of cholera not eating clearly will affect um, that whole the way that whole disease works because the disease is related to food and to eating and your digestive system. He says but this, as opposed to this illness, has nothing to do with the digestive system. It's irrelevant, meaning not eating, for a healthy person not to eat. Um, because, notice again, this person who's writing him the question said, we, we need to abolish, should we abolish the fast completely? Well, the fast, he's going on, in this case, Titus Esther. So he's saying, he's saying, no, it's very, you can't bring proofs from the cholera pandemic and what the rabbis ruled then, because that illness, specifically that pandemic, was related to digestive system. So as opposed to this one, he says, which, you know, it has nothing to do with uh, with the dehydration or what type of foods you eat, etc. That's, that's his opinion. Um, so he says, therefore, he does not, just because, again, he seems to be addressing just a flu here, he says that would not be a reason to abolish a fast. Um, that's his opinion. Again, written all the way, way back when. Now, so Dr. Steinberg, by the way, I don't know if I told you, this week came out with he uh, sent it to some of you even, maybe. If anyone wants it, let me know. Uh, a 30-page compendium of all um, laws related to to uh, coronavirus that so far. And uh, he goes through the year and different holidays and, and whatever it is. All, all questions sort of compiled together in his, in his unique style. He has one in Hebrew, one in English. Um, so about Yom Kippur, he says, he quotes the story of Israel Salanter. This just came out a few days ago. And he does, uh, Ed, he does say specifically that we should um, consolidate the, the, the services, make them much shorter. That's necessary. does mention that explicitly. 
And then he says, so at the end he ends up with a very thing, and he says, there's different opinions about um, disagreement amongst them. So he says, he says like this, after quoting the different opinions whether one should break their fast, meaning in those days during the cholera pandemic, he says like this, very important thing, which to wrap it up. He says, there doesn't seem to actually be any true disagreement amongst them. But rather, as we have stated, we must distinguish between what the doctors think about a particular plague if fasting will make matters worse. Then one must, of course, eat on Yom Kippur. But if not, they may not. So he's saying, it's very nice. There's opinions during the cholera epidemic. Should you pray? What? He says, listen, we have to take, and again, this is a question who gets to decide that, but the medical advice in this particular illness, in this particular situation. There's no argument here. If the doctors say that fasting is dangerous and can cause and can lead someone to, to easier contraction of corona, then we have to break our fast. If the doctors, uh, the expert physicians, the expert medical advice tells us that there's no issue in fasting, so then we, we can't break our fast. He said, there's no argument here. It's basically what, what Dr. Steinberg is saying. He doesn't say. That. So that's Ed's question. Who gets to decide it? But, uh, but, but clearly, meaning, what he's saying is, is it's not a halachic argument here. He wants to say, even though clearly in Vilna there was a halachic argument. So, again, with the other rationales we discussed, there might be a different situation. Um, but, but he's saying we need to get the expert medical advice, and that will help us decide. That will not help us. That will be our decision whether we should or should not fit. So, that's the end of the day. He wants to simplify it in that manner.